Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradz and on this episode I sit down with a longtime friend of mine, Ruben Furtado. He is an expert in the luxury real estate market. He works with a lot of different clients who buy lots, knock down houses, build big beautiful luxury homes on the modern, all sorts of different modern uh, uh, types of, of homes. He specializes in the Mississauga, Oakville, Burlington area, but has been doing more and more as his reach has become wider. So if you want some insight into what is going on in the real estate market, he brings a really unique perspective. And some of the numbers that he shared absolutely shocked me just about lot prices, how fast land is going up, the development costs of different uh, builds and what he's seeing out there on the market. And if you're not familiar with Ruben's backstory, Ruben and I used to work together at Oracle. He was actually my first sales manager as I tr tr transitioned out, out of sales consulting, where I was kind of like the technical guy that would work with the salespeople and decided I want to go into, uh, go in, wanted to go into straight sales. He was the first manager kind of raised his hand and put me on his team. I'm forever grateful. That move changed my entire life. I then went off to start Rockstar. He left the corporate world and we're back working together. So feel really grateful to be able to work next to Ruben here at Rockstar. And if you are listening to this and you want more real estate information, you can check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Rockstar Inner Circle. You can hit the big, big red subscribe button. Lately, we've been doing more and more Rockstar Minutes where different members of our team, specifically Anthony Molinero, will sit down and we'll chat about different topics like the books that we're reading, why we're reading those uh, books, the different financial stages of life. Uh, so we're kind of mixing up the videos that we put out there. They're real estate related and some non-real estate related stuff. You can check out the YouTube channel for Rockstar at youtube.com forward slash Rockstar Inner Circle. That's youtube.com forward slash Rockstar Inner Circle. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are recording. Ruben just did 20 push-ups in the hallway to make sure he looked all pumped <laughs> before he did this. So look, look, before we get into the real estate stuff, this ring, like I'm wearing it to pick up my just sleep recovery. I, I generally don't wear it all day. And I can't wear it during workouts because it'll break. Yeah. But you're wearing this for the. Are you checking the data? Because I feel knowing you, you're like wearing it and then not even looking at the data. I only use don't it be scared of the mic. I'm not. I'm okay. Not. Yeah, I'm, I'm only using it for sleep as well. It actually created problems though. Why? Because I don't get much REM sleep or deep sleep. Yeah, so I don't get. How much deep sleep do you get? I'll be lucky if I get like 10% of my sleep is deep sleep and 10% REM. So I'm probably getting like maybe at best like. 20, 30 minutes a night on either. You're only getting 20 minutes. That's not even, I, I think an hour. Yeah. You're supposed to get, I think, what is it? 15 or 20% of a deep sleep. And yeah. I think for me, that has to be like whatever, uh, over an hour, like it's an hour and a half is what the app tells me. Here, I'll tell you right now. I know, I've always been jealous. But You've you, told me this already. You no, but I never get a lot of deep sleep. Deep sleep. No. But my HR recovery. You, I don't measure recovery. You don't measure your recovery? No. So you don't ma measure your HRV in the morning? No, I don't even know what that is. Really? Yeah. No, so sleep. So yeah, last night was bad for me. I got 41 minutes, which is 8%. So yeah, you're supposed to get an hour to an hour and a half. So I don't get a ton of uh, deep sleep. It's Nick who gets a ton of deep sleep. I think Mike does too. And Mike does great on yeah, the recovery. Not me. So, okay. And then HRV, what are you watching for? Uh, you don't look at your HRV at all? Like I'll tell you last What's time. your HRV right now? Hit on readiness on the app and then look at your heart rate vi variability. I don't even know where to do that. At the bottom where it says readiness. Okay, done. It says 75. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Dude, you know what mine says? What? 19. 19. Is that good? No, not, not, not that readiness. Here, oh, give me this. Give me this. <laughs> readiness. Yeah, 46. That's actually really good. Uh, all right, I'm better than you. I think it's a relative score. Yeah, that's all you care about. <laughs> I'm better than you. I win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a relative score, so I don't think it actually matters. Here, yeah. pull, uh, I don't think it matters really how high... Like, I think it's more relative to your last week. How are you doing mm -hmm. as opposed to kind of like how high your absolute score is. Mm -hmm. So if you're 46 all the time, Nick, can you pull that closed? Oh, thanks. Um, so, uh, so uh, okay. The real estate stuff. 
Yes. So what I wanted you to share with everyone, because I think you have really good insights into this stuff. I, I don't think, what, what market do you p- consider yourselves playing in right now? Because I used to kind of like pigeonhole you a little bit, but now I see what you're doing and you're like all over freaking Golden Horseshoe Toronto. So what, what you, how do you look at yourself? What's your specialty? So I, I think it's, it's, I look at the people that I've been working with and not, a lot of our business is repeat business, right? Uh, or referrals. So we had a lot of clients that were coming to us that were looking to build custom homes, luxury properties, whether it was something that they were doing for an investment or whether it was going to be for their primary. Um, a lot of those clients have, have accomplished that already and now are looking elsewhere for other investments in real estate. So we've been helping them finding whether it's going to be single family homes for rentals or whether it's going to be like a legal duplex or helping them find something and doing conversion. So it really comes down to the customer's needs and we're, we're super flexible. So yeah, you are seeing that we're being a bit more diverse than we were in the past. And is it a type of home that you're working on or just whatever the customer needs? Because now you're doing investment properties in Hamilton, but you're doing luxury homes, I feel like all over the place from Mississauga, Oakville, Burlington. Yeah, that's right. So we still have like um, in Mississauga, a, a really nice modern luxury development uh, project where there's like eight luxury homes that are gonna be all around 6 million. Um, to where it's going to be in um, some clients picking up some single family homes in Hamilton that are converting into legal duplexes. So like I said, it's it's from a geography standpoint and also the type of property, it's pretty, uh, pretty vast. So then I guess what I wanted to ask you with everything that we see in the real, Nick's just joining us here. For, oh, he's, Nick's going to join us for a little bit because then our, our father needs some help that he's mm-hmm. going to help him out with. Yeah, last minute. I just couldn't give it up. I saw you guys talking. I'm like, I want to come chat with oh, these guys. Beautiful. Yeah, we were just talking about his HRV actually before we got into the real estate. His HRV that he doesn't look at is 40. I told him, hey, look at the ring I'm wearing. Yeah. And he's like, I'm wearing the same ring. Uh, so we have these aura well, rings. You know how much technology is in this? And I had to do this. <laughs> God, yeah, yeah. And you know what he said? He goes, I told you about the ring. And I'm like, <laughs> you definitely did not tell me about the ring. If anything, I told you about the ring. You right. didn't tell me about the ring. Yeah. So listen, his uh, HRV score is 46. His deep sleep is, my deep sleep is not the best. I usually will get an hour. I got 46 minutes last night. I'll get an hour and 20 minutes sometimes, but he gets like 20 minutes, he's saying. But you always do really good on deep sleep. Oh, I get it, but usually about 20%. Out. Yeah, mine's, yeah. yeah, yeah so last night, 90 minutes or so. Yeah, last night was an hour and 47, so it's 26%. Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. So jealous. But my yeah. REM was lower. My, oh, no, my REM was 20%. But the deep sleep is your muscle recovery and like really restorative sleep. That, to me, I think it's more important than the REM. Yeah. I used to just focus on the REM, but I feel really great when I have a lot of deep sleep. I, and, was at the, and, I was at the soccer game yesterday and I was drinking beer, which I don't normally drink. Maybe that's the secret. Was that outdoors? Yeah, it was outdoors. Wasn't it freezing? No, it wasn't. Because you know what? We were in the sun. Oh, okay. And it wasn't It wasn't anyways. I don't like the cold. <laughs> <laughs> but the, and then your HR. You, you were in Ottawa. I was. And it was freezing in Ottawa. I was like, mine it is. It was. Yeah. But I, I was, I literally had the whole gear. Like, you think I was a snowmobiler. Like, everything from the gloves to the, like, I was, I was, I was cozy. My feet went numb, though. Hey, uh, you're, I'm curious, your HRV score, what, what is it on average? Yeah, so like the you new would think ring, we're with brothers, it'd be similar, but we're so different. The like new ring is low. measuring it lower. So versus the, the whoop, so when I was wearing a whoop, it was in uh, uh, mid-50s, I think. It was 50s, and then I would go into the 60s, but the, the ring measures it differently. So the ring, for me, has been measuring it at third, uh, mid-30s and something, I think. I have it here. Yeah, see, last night it was only 29, but usually it's about 30, low 30s. Mm-hmm. When I get to mid-30s, it says I'm, I'm okay. Actually, see, HRV balance, it says good. So what I've learned about the ring is the ring will measure it based off, and maybe Whoop does this now as well. It measures it based off like your last couple yeah, like weeks a relative or couple score. months. Yeah, so at least it does it that way. So it doesn't make it like, it doesn't. Because the Whoop band was telling me I was never recovered because my HRV was just so low. It was just doing an absolute number every day, but yeah. I think they probably have changed I'm that sure as well. I'm sure they probably updated that, I would imagine. Yeah, I don't know. yeah got it. Okay. So uh, what I want to talk to you about the, on the real estate front is uh, in the higher end properties, what are you seeing? So let's let's focus in on a price point in uh, of, you know, two and a half to three and a half million. So higher priced real so estate. So like a townhouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A cardboard box at the side of the road, two and a half million dollars in Canada. So what are you seeing? How fast are prices moving in the last few months? So we're recording this right at the end of January, literally the last day of January. What, uh, what have you been seeing the last three or four months in price movements on that price, two and a half to three and a half million? Yeah, so there's been movement across the board. What I see happening, though, is more on the land that people are acquiring to do the build. That's where we're seeing like immediate, like huge fluctuations in price. Where 
I would say six months ago, something that you would have bought, let's say in Oakville and Southwest Oakville, that would have been a, um, a 60 by 120 lot. You would have been able to get with some. a house on it already that you're just going to bulldoze down. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we, we had a client that had actually bought like a premium lot because it was 60 by 140 where the average is 120 feet deep. And at the time we set a precedent, we bought it for like 1.1.4 million. Okay, South Oakville somewhere. Yeah, South Oakville, within walking distance to like downtown Oakville. Okay. That property today, uh, again, this was purchased like I think like three months ago. That property today is almost close to 1.8 million. So the land is appreciated. What is that? Almost like a $100,000 per month if you were to average it out. That's absurd. And then on the on that there, so they bought it. Or remind me how much they bought it for one point one point four, just so, over one. So one, they bought it for one point four, and now the building cost to build uh, three. What are they going to put on that? Three thousand square feet, four thousand square yeah, feet. Yeah. So normally on a sixty by one twenty lot, you get around just over three thousand. But this be, being a premium lot and a bit deeper, they're probably going to get somewhere around like thirty four hundred square okay, feet. Okay. So give me the what's the building cost currently? Yeah, and this is such a loaded question. People always ask about the building cost, and it really you have to have an image in your mind of what you consider as a custom build. But I would tell you, I cannot see anybody building for anything less than 350 a square foot, and that's still pretty basic. When they start going to more high-end luxury finishes, everything from better quality windows, staircases, and extensive use of millwork, um, you're really looking at around the 450 mark. And then when you start seeing some of more of the high-end luxury stuff, the stuff that you would see, whether it be in Southeast Oakville, properties that are like reselling for you know, $5.5 million, $6 million, and new construction, those houses literally starting at 600 a square foot, right? So they're buying the land for 1.4. They're going to build for about 1.5 or so. I'm ballparking 1.5, a 3,200 square feet times $450. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be all done at 3,200 feet for three, $3 million. A little bit more. I would say about yeah. three, one, three, landscaping. Two. Yeah. Do you, do you include any landscaping in that cost that you just told me? There's personally? minimal landscaping. You mean you're having obviously your grading and your, your sodding and everything like okay. that. And, doing and we all know we, you could easily spend two to $400,000 in a house like that. Exactly. So, um, okay. So then you have this house that's going to be three and a half to $4 million and that's purchased six months ago. So if they were to flip this and sell this in a year or year and a half when this thing's done, mm -hmm. this thing's not going to be listed for like three and a half million dollars. No. What would you guess it's going to be listed for? It would have to be over four million. And again, you're still factoring it based on the price they purchased it for. Today, that same lot is now like 1.7 to 1.8 million. Right? So when they go to sell it in a year and a half, they're going to take that land value into account and the current build cost, I would assume. Is that, the, how, how do you do the mental calculations, the mental math on that? Yeah. So again, you're going to look at what is your competition, what recently sold, that's going to play a huge factor in it. If somebody is now, if there's nothing listed and there isn't any comparables, yes, that would be the calculation. What is the land value? What's the cost of construction to build it? So what's the replacement value of the exact same house? And then plus or minus, right? So that would be, but normally there's enough comparables and that's what you're going to really be competing against and you have to be priced according to that. So right? I think the reason I'm asking is like, we have these leading indicators of what Ruben's just saying that's telling us the property prices are gonna go higher. Like I know so much is involved here because if interest rates change and the economy changes, that can pull down the real estate market. But assuming status quo, if these are the input costs today and that property's not gonna be out on the market for a year and a half, we're gonna see higher prices from even what we see now. Yeah, but we've had times in the past where that doesn't happen because the market, the economy. No, I'm just saying. Assume it just like yeah. just assume everything's the same. Like, well, look, we know uh, a builder that, and I was telling you about this, that had to go out to his the people that bought bought properties, and they went out and asked for an extra fifty thousand dollars because of um, I, I don't know like the legal language that they use, but you know when it's like extreme circumstances, subdivision, pre-construction subdivision, they had to go and ask. I, I don't know if it was each person was fifty thousand, average fifty thousand, but they asked each each buyer for more money because of just material cost had elevated so much. Mm. They're like, look, to make it work, they kind of had to. And I guess they were within their rights. I don't know how all the contracts work. And at that the time when. Um, I was speaking to, to, to uh, when I was learning about this, they said about 50% of people uh, had signed off on those, right, with the buyers. And that's because they had so much, mm -hmm. they had a bunch of equity in the property, so I guess they were okay with it if they were able to afford it. But yeah, costs had gone up so much. And you see the land, to your point, land costs, and there's not less red tape now. There's more red tape, more municipality stuff, more uh, development charges. Like, it's everything's more, more, more. So yeah, barring something... 
you know, if the economy slows right down, interest rates spike up or whatever, yeah, that'll change things. But outside of that, I don't know. And then, again, what's going to dictate it is the amount of activity, right, in those price points. There wasn't a lot of activity at $3 million, $4 million, But uh, we were talking about this earlier. So Friendbrook, um, just uh, your typical builder in a, within a subdivision, they have a, a nice product, but it's still subdivision type product. Okay, I live in a Fernbrook home. Okay, okay. thank you. So, so that's <laughs> well, it's not a custom just, home. It's a subdivision no. home. Right? I mean, I'm sure they have their custum just, home division, but we're talking just subdivision. laughing at the property that I live in. That's fine. No, not at all. Keep digging. Yeah. Keep digging. <laughs> <laughs> but here is a new subdivision out in Oakville, uh, north of the QEW, um, and they just released their latest price list. And you're looking at houses that are just over 3,000 square feet that are $3 million. This is builder pricing. And you got to remember, no upgrades. Well, th- there'll be minimal upgrades. Is that starting at three million? Starting no. at three million. Really? Yes. How big Start, is the house? Like 32, 3,300 square feet. Uh, and I guess on what? A f- I, cause on it, a forty-six foot lot. Yeah, because they're not even doing. 15. How are they fitting that on a forty-six foot lot? The There's no backyard. Tiny. You don't have a backyard. The backyards are the size of this office. Yeah, so you wouldn't even like to put a pool back there. Your whole backyard would be all pool. And think so about you can't, you, can you fit a pool? You would, but then you wouldn't have a backyard. Yeah, and they're usually a little bit narrower, oh, and there's course. not as much. Yeah, value. so some of the some of the newer subdivisions when I've seen the the backyards, I was like, wow, that's because they're really putting. But more people care about the size of their home than they care about their mm-hmm. their their lot. I think they do. But when you are when the houses get bigger and the lots are smaller, and then you're not backing on a ravine, you are now like back to back with another house. And imagine paying three million. And people, what they don't understand is they're going through the model home and they're seeing all these great upgrades. And then they're seeing custom homes that are going at like three million, but the house that you're buying from the builder does not have a finished basement, doesn't have fencing, doesn't have blinds, doesn't have like sometimes even air conditioning, landscaping. So if they're in at three million, by the time they do some simple upgrades through pot lights Jeez. and cabinetry through the builder, there'll probably be another hundred, hundred fifty thousand in upgrades. Then they're going to go in and do their own finishes and some mm. landscaping and. Window coverings, window coverings. Window coverings. They're going to be in at least three point three million and be backing on directly to another house, which is when I think about that, it's it's, it's craziness, right? But it is where we are right now, right? I'm I mean, just thinking about you're going to spend three hundred thousand in upgrades just on just on pot lights. Mm-hmm. When, when I went to the builder and they told me the cost for pot lights, I'm in yeah. a heart attack. I'm like, what? That's a cost for your mm-hmm. your pot lights. I'm like, how about I get my electrician to come in there while you guys are doing construction, and I'll save myself, I don't know, ten grand. <laughs> like, so one of the things that we do for some clients who uh, that we have relationships with, we, we offer a consulting engagement, and they'll buy from a builder because in some cases it still may make sense, but we'll actually show up at the the core appointment. And we'll coach them because, like, literally, you could be at the decor. They and hate people are spending. Yeah, oh, that's what I was thinking. Oh, they hate it. I think because, yeah. like, we'll look at the cost of to upgrade the flooring. It's actually cheaper to close on the property, bring a contractor in, rip all their existing flooring, and put new flooring in and better quality flooring. Yeah, but if you can book a contractor right now. Well, yeah, fortunately, we have okay. contacts that okay. way, right? So we have people that work exclusively with us that um, they're there for our clients. So it works out well. But even the same thing when it comes to pot lights. We'll strategically figure out where in a room to put one pot light so that at least we have the lights. So you switch, have the wire and you have the and, wire. And, and then we know where the joists are so that we can then run them. <laughs> so instead of paying like $350 a light, we're paying like $75 a light. When you start talking like 100 lights, talking thousands of dollars, right? Yeah, for sure. And then so mm-hmm. what? Finished basements from the builder you'll never suggest? Never suggest. Unless there's some sort of package and promo that it, you know, it makes, but normally no. What about um, higher basement ceilings? You'll suggest that, I guess. It depends. If it's already coming with a standard like eight or nine foot ceiling, okay. and it also depends on the, on the value of the house. So what you think the resale value is going to be. But if I'm paying $3 million for a house, yeah, I want nine foot ceilings in my basement. Got it. Right. And so then you said some of your clients, it's appropriate for them to buy that subdivision home. Why are you saying that? Yeah. So again, if, if a lot of like, it to, I'll give you an example. There was a client that was looking to do like a modern house, right? They wanted to buy, but they didn't have the time and the resources and the money to build from scratch. So they were looking for houses that they could reno. And based on how competitive the rental market, what well, like the, the resale market was for everybody chasing these fixer uppers, the builder at the time had offered um, a subdivision and there was a particular house that the price still made sense that we could buy this house and make it the, look modern. But again, not through using the, the, the builder's upgrades, but bringing in our own trains after. So the day that they closed, they didn't move in. They ripped out their kitchen, brand new house, ripped out their kitchen, ripped out washrooms, ripped out laundry rooms and uh, brought in the contractors in. And within, I think it was like 
a two and a half month period, uh, completely transformed the house. The, the, the front of the elevation, the house was already a bit more modern. And I remember they bought that house for like 1.6 million. They probably spent like 250,000 in rentals, which they would have easily spent through the builder and upgrades. Today, that house is worth like $3 million, And that was literally within about a year So is that like a modern day flip? You know how before we were looking at flips of buy the beat down house, fix it up. Is this like a new kind of way to do a modern day flip where you're buying from the builder and doing like weird things to it? Because now it's not comparable to any other homes in the subdivision when you go to sell it. Correct. Correct. And again, these guys were not doing it for a flip. No, we I, know they, I know they were. So they were trying to figure out what's their total cost of ownership in being one of these houses and the house uh, being their dream home. Um, so when they did this, we weren't thinking, oh, what's the resale value going to be? Markets moved. We did a, a phenomenal job. And all of a sudden their closest competition now is literally, you know, going to be 3 million where they're probably all in for like, maybe I would say like 1.9. Right. So, uh, are you seeing a sweet spot for people to flip right now? Like, can you flip home? Is there a price point sweet spot? Yeah, so uh, I, the answer is yes, there is. And what's going to dictate it is there's like a formula. We always look within that neighborhood, within that, and seeing that there's a big enough gap, right, between what a similar house is selling for to like at a starting point to end point. You figure a renovation, if you're doing something half decent, it's anywhere from 150 to 200,000. So you want to see a gap at at least $500,000, half a million dollars from where the starter price house is to where the um, the most expensive house is. And you wanna have some similarities in square footage. So, but that's very difficult to find because everybody, there's more people chasing the lower end of the market, driving that price up. So it's very rare to find something so that's worth can you move flipping. up and do it at a higher price point? You can, um, but the same kind of rules apply. So uh, where we're seeing, Anybody who bought something with the intentions of flipping, the way the market's moving, they're not even doing the renovation. By the time they buy it and by the time they close on it, it's already gone up and they're already calculating, hey, if I were to renovate, what could I potentially sell and make? And they would make the exact same amount of money today by doing nothing, like literally just selling it. So we do buy things. So people are just flipping the lots now because they're going up so fast. Yeah, but we don't, when we're buying the property, we make sure that, the we're not there's it's not that there's speculation oh that you know the lot value is going to go up we already understand if we're buying it for example let's say 1.1 million and we've done uh, figured out what the rental is going to cost let's say the rental is two we want to make sure that that house is going to sell at a minimum like one six to one seven right so but what ends up happening is by the time we buy it at one one and by the time we close it's already like 1.3 1.35 Right, so at that point we're like we're gonna make the same amount of money, just flipping the lot rather than doing the. And it saves you a year. They're pulling up the profits by a year right. and a lot of headaches. Yeah, and and I think what would happen. The thing is, they got to put that money back into the market because now you've sold that thing. If they did do the flip, you're probably gonna make more money than you anticipated. Assuming Nick, to your point, the market doesn't change. Well, yeah, they, I was thinking like it. The only problem with this those types of strategies when it happens it's great but if you're going in expecting to do that is where yeah. it becomes challenging because that's how our family got into a really mm -hmm. really bad situation so if, you know it's not if the market turns the market's going to turn right mm -hmm. what when and and what's going to trigger it and, and you know like uh, maybe it's three years maybe it's five years maybe it's 10 years maybe it's two months like no one knows but that's then you know it's like who's who's caught holding the bag in that type of scenario where it's not spending off income and you have those resources that you're holding on to now if they're buying it because they're going to build for themselves or whatever and building it's a little bit different than just renovating it or people that are buying you know to to resell in six or 12 months without really doing any work and thinking well this is great it's just going to go up and then i'll just kind of like offload it right so it's just a little bit different that way i just i, I think just to clarify that because it's a little bit you know some people think that there's different segments of the market and some people get in just looking for easy money on pure speculation mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just wondering, Oh, our father's here. He's already pissed off. Yeah. Nick's pointing at his watch. I have two minutes. No, according to my yeah, watch, yeah, I have yeah, two yeah, minutes. Yeah. yeah. For those of, yeah, no one listening knows our father. He has zero patience. Um, <laughs> 
Okay, so then I guess, and I guess to Nick's point, yeah, like it's dangerous to do to go in anticipating that you're just going to make money flipping a lot. But then if I was just to think this through, I'm like, oh, geez, but are we living in a world where like this does just continue because we all assume that it can't? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Because we we all assume like, okay, this is crazy. It can't. It's going to change. Then I'm like, oh my gosh. We can never be on the side of the majority. So if the minority opinion is that this is just going to continue, shit, yeah, we're all well, screwed. It's going to continue. Well, look, and, what's I, and you can't bank on that because you're right. You'll, you could lose everything if yeah. you banked on that going in. Yeah, and w- again, I want to clarify: when we are making the decision to move forward on the purchase, we're not banking on yeah. any appreciation. We've we're figuring in today's market. Like again, I'm going to give the because I'm I'm more of a numbers guy. So if you're buying something like we did at one one. We're knowing that in today's market, we spend two, we're selling it for one six. But by the time we close, so if, if so, what would you make gross? There's about $300,000. But if by the time we close, it is now 1350000 right? You've already made 250000 So you got to reevaluate it. Is it worth the time and energy to spend more money as well to make an extra 50000 And... And we're, and based on that time, the more time that you're on waiting and to go on the market, there's more risk, right? Because you don't know what's going to happen in six months or a year from now. Yeah, I, I agree. Right. I agree with I, I agree with what right. you're saying. And you guys were doing it for some uh, another mm-hmm. reason. And, and I know that's what's happened with a lot of people who bought land to develop um, recently because there's a couple of projects I had invested in. There was two, I think one Cambridge and one Oakville. I think they both did this. The Oakville one for sure. But instead of developing, they just said, hey, look, at this point, now, instead of developing it, we should just think we're going to sell the land because by the time we develop it, to your exact same point, just on a larger scale, they're just like, "What's? why go through this? We, we've, we've established a good amount of profit. We don't feel like we have to take on the extra risk, the added mm-hmm. work. So I think we're going to sell this one to another developer and we move on to something else. We're hearing mm-hmm. that everywhere. There's a medium-sized developer in Niagara who just did that. They bought land to build on it. They just sold all their land, all their land. They just said, forget it. We're out. They made more profit selling their land than they thought they would completing the subdivisions. They're done. They have like, they're happy. They got money in the bank and they were going to go develop the land. So now another builder has it. So I don't know if that delays the build by six months or a year or who knows, maybe it doesn't at all. Mm -hmm. But just the fact that some builders are just stepping back from building. So yeah. we're in a situation where yeah, we need it's work, the work, risk, the work and headaches. I mean, you know, and then it's not even when you close on the properties. Then there's all the afterwards, all the touch-ups after going back. Carry and on. With, you know, it's it's a lot. It's a lot of effort. It's a well. I mean, there's a reason why they have to charge what they charge. There's look, the builders are making money, but they're not making it, it just because prices have gone to where they are. It's not like the builders' margins have now exploded because of this. Like you know, so, so if they can save themselves three years and make the same profit. Psh, pull up that money now. I think for the individual investor, oh, all right. See you I, I was going to say, for that was the nice in- the way you guys wave to each other. For the individual investor who's building, the money's not in the build, right? Because I can go back and I like, can see anybody who built and who made like who made money. But if I look at what they bought the land for, and as subtract what they bought, like what they cost. Oh, holy cow! I can't even speak. If I basically take in, into consideration what the end, what they sell it for at the very yeah. end, and I subtract the build, that they would have made more money or the same, but more likely more money if they didn't even build, if they just sold the land. And that's because we've been just seeing this massive appreciation. Now, I think on the build side, there is money to be made, but that's always lagging. Right, because it takes a while for somebody to buy the land to do the build and then set that new precedent. Right, and setting that new precedent, if you're one of the first new ones that have come up in this era, yeah, you have to go to a price point where no one's gone before. Exactly. But once that's set, yeah. then it's a snowball effect for the the whole yeah. few streets around that exactly. house. Exactly. You kind of pave it for everybody else. But if you're going to be the first person to do it, it's going to be a I'm challenge. Just wondering if what I'm hearing means like that the the price point that you're talking about, which I know is higher. Um, but if it's even going to go yet higher again, assuming we don't get any weird slowdown by government changes this spring, interest rate changes, it's going to be fascinating to see. Yeah. And, and then, okay, why are you getting pulled out? You're doing some stuff with clients that you normally wouldn't do, or some of your clients are doing investment properties now in different areas. I know you've been in Hamilton a little bit. Where is that coming from? Is that clients who are just typically doing luxury builds who are saying, I also want rental property, or they're just doing flips in different areas? Yeah, I think it's two reasons. Uh, One, 
sometimes clients will ask, hey, what am I doing personally outside of like, um, you know, a build, which we have, I've done in the past. And I do explain that my biggest regret was selling all the houses that we did. If I wish I, I can go Everybody's back. Everybody's biggest regret. Yeah. So, I mean, I was buying these houses from a subdivision builder and I was buying him at, you know, going way back when I remember my first house was like 138,000. Was that the Madame Semi, semi-detached Madame? It was a Madame Semi. Yeah. Right, right from a, like the refinery, the Shell refinery over there in Burloak. That was my first place. And it was 130. You could look out and see like the smokestacks and everything, yeah. right? 130,000? 138,000. For a semi-detached For a semi-detached house. 138,000. And, uh, and what year was that roughly? Uh, let me oh, guess. Man. That's well, going to be around the year 2000. Well, I've been no. married 28 years. So, so it was about 94. probably 27 years ago, I think. Okay. So we're like early, we're 93, 94, 95. Yeah. Yeah. So, but um, then, but when we started kind of moving up from there, we were buying houses from the builder, which were nice homes. The same houses today that you're seeing listed at 3 million. We were buying those at 450. Yeah, I remember you right? were. I saw you buying those. So imagine, like when we would sell it, my wife and I, we were high-fiving each other. We'd you would buy them one on a Sunday afternoon. You would go to the uh, trailer from the new home builder and come I'd home sleep and tell, over. tell Lori. I would sleep there the night, Yeah. right? And then I would be talking to the people who were in line sleeping the night, figuring out what lots they were getting. We already, I already knew my neighbor before this we like moved This was like 2005, in. 2006, yeah, that around there. then. But again, in hindsight, if we... Those houses that we bought for 450 that are now 3 million or close to 3 million, you know, what would our mortgages be on them right now? Even if we refinanced and it kept it at 500,000, right? Um, you'd have 250,000 in equity in each property and they'd be renting easily. Those houses would rent for almost $5,000 a month, but you'd have a mortgage of maybe four, 500,000 on a mortgage. So you'd be positive cash flow, maybe three grand on each. So just keeping a couple of those. So that changed my. Uh, my whole, you know, strategy in terms you of... You know, you had a friend who told you to yeah, keep some Yeah, I think I know a guy. Okay, I yeah, just yeah, want to yeah, make I, sure. I just, <laughs> okay. I'm not going to give you Okay, credit. I just want to say it wasn't a new idea. You had people around you saying, hey, you should yeah. probably get some rentals. Well, I remember you You got me my first rental. Was that one of the rent-to-owns? Yeah, it was. It was out in... Uh, I think the first one we bought was on Caledon. was the name of the street. In Hamilton. In Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, got Do you it. remember what you got? I didn't even see oh it. Oh, my gosh. I think I was in Vancouver. Oh, really? I forget. And you called me. It's like, hey, Ruben, there's this property. You know why? We probably had somebody else walking away from it. We were in a jam. Oh, yeah. Hey, you want to buy this thing? And I think what we bought it if for, i had to guess it was 200 and something yeah i think it was 230 yeah and i'm like what do you think he's like I, and you're like i don't know i look pretty good and i'm like <laughs> <laughs> so i never saw it we put an offer on it and uh we did a rent to own right uh and i sold it i was foolish i said but though, we all were well nick and i were looking back at some of our rent to owns that we did ourselves and with joint venture partners some of those rent to owns we would sell out and the profit was $30,000. Now, this is going to sound bad mm -hmm. when I say this, but at the time, we thought that was like a home run. I know. We were like 30000 mm -hmm. Like, we just made $30,000. We didn't do any renovations. We helped somebody buy a house. They're happy. We're happy. Now, looking back on those, is like $30,000. The value of that $30,000 like nothing. Before, $30,000 would have been, you know, over what? 15% of the entire purchase price of the home. Yeah. Now looking back, it just feels like, why didn't we keep all those? But there's a time in your life where we couldn't keep all those. Those income hits to us, even if Nick and I were splitting mm. or splitting with a joint venture partner and then mm. us splitting, that was meaningful income for yeah. us. Like we needed the, I guess what I'm saying is we needed the money. Yeah. I think I, I would have done more like properties like that, but because we were focused in other areas and it was bigger price points, and the profits were bigger, right? I wasn't really excited if the market moved and went up 10%. And if the property is 200, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's 23,000. And I'm like, eh. Because you, you were already playing at the $500,000. Yeah. Mark. So, but now, yeah. think about this. That same property that we bought for 235 today that property is 900. Yeah, yeah. So if it moves 10%, it's... It's ninety thousand yeah, 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 dollars, yeah. and we. Yeah, I just wonder right? if ten years from now we'll yeah. look at that thinking, well, it's ninety thousand dollars, not a really a big so. deal, even I though do now, think so. uh, you know. But the, but the things that we kept, like different rental properties, kept. We were just talking about it today. We have this one specific student rental property. By the way, I just had a flashback to one of our student rentals that I sold at York University with my brother-in-law. I think we sold that thing for six, I remember that six one. nine. Yeah, we bought it for three fifty. Yeah, we sold it for six ninety, which yeah. was great, and yeah. it cash flowed from day one. That thing cash flowed like it was seven bedrooms. We did a beautiful IKEA basement in there, mm -hmm. walkout. Mm -hmm. um, it was a semi-detached we bought, 
and uh, we sold it for six ninety. That thing's probably like one point two yeah. million, one point three million right now. Mm-hmm. And we thought at six ninety, we were like doing pretty good on, on that particular one. I still, uh, I still joke with uh, Mario, my brother-in-law, about uh, we shouldn't have sold that property. Yeah. But anyway, that's a different story. There's another student rental that we have by McMaster, and this is a running joke because this property is over one hundred years old. Mm-hmm. And Nick and I bought that at two hundred fifty thousand, and it's just about to cross the million dollar mark. Amazing. And for five years, we've had this joke internally here at Rockstar saying if 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 a hundred year old property in Hamilton, Ontario, by McMaster University, ever gets to be worth one million dollars, we know we've hit the banana republic in the real estate market. Because yeah. we just couldn't even fa- when we bought that, you couldn't even fathom yeah. that that property remember, would be a million. I remember dollars. going through that house with you. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, early on. I think there was like... You Still were shag to, carpet. We had shag yeah, carpet in that uh, one. And I, and I was like, man, this is like, <laughs> I would never, <laughs> ever buy this. <laughs> no, but that property, we've uh, refinanced that property just at least two times, I think three times. Mm-hmm. One time to pay for its own basement to increase the revenue on it. Other times to take money out to buy other properties. So that property has been responsible for at least one, possibly two other properties. And now in that property, Nick and I haven't refinanced that thing for ages. There's yeah. there's tons of equity in that property. Yeah. Crazy, no? What's well, yeah. one single property? I, I get it. But I think what's... Because that happened over so much time, and, yeah, it, it's still crazy. But what, if you can go and just look back even one year or two years, right? I think we were, we were talking about this earlier. I had a client who purchased a... Um, uh, it was a non-legal duplex, completely renovated up on the Hamilton Mountain. They bought it almost exactly uh, two years ago. And they bought it for 580 why wasn't it legal? It's not zoned for duplexes in that area no, or just it, wasn't finished properly? It was finished, but and they did a whole renovation, new kitchens, new washrooms. It was beautiful, but they never went through oh, got the it. proper application yeah, yeah. to it. do it as a legal duplex. Yeah. So when we bought it, we brought in our consultant that we work with uh, who's amazing. And he's like, hey, this has the potential. This is what you need to do. So we put together a quick budget of what it was going to cost to actually submit the permits to convert it to a legal duplex. It cost an extra $25,000 for some of the work that we had to do. So we were all in for 605. So that, that client who bought it for 605, two years later, they're, they're now out in Alberta and uh, they're, they're basically, hey, we wanna kind of sell this property. We're looking to move our investments a bit closer. Can you get it sold for us? We, uh, over the weekend, we list, so we listed it earlier on the week holding offers. I better watch that. Um, and we listed it for like 850000 and it sold for like 1220000 That means in less than, like literally in two years. You're one of those assholes who listed it super low. I didn't. <laughs> it wasn't super low, right? And by the way, there's something to be said about this whole, you know, this market right now with multiple offers, whether you're on the buying side or whether you're on the selling side in terms of strategy. So, and there's... Uh, it's it's very crucial on how you're executing as a seller and then also what you're doing as a buyer. Um, but on the selling side, yeah, we didn't, we believe the market value for that property would have probably been somewhere in the neighborhood normal and based on some of the comparables, let's say it was one, one, right. Um, and you kind of always know worst case, best case, but to the, some sellers do not want to list under market value because they're fearful that, hey, that might send the wrong message. But I think what's really important if you're a seller is you want to have as many offers as possible. You know that 50% of your offers are probably going to be garbage. But what happens is the savvy agent who's representing the buyer is going to register their offer early but not send it to you. They're going to wait to find out how many offers there are. So even those crappy, you know, the 50% of those crappy offers is still creating a bit of a threat that will influence the top buyer to pay more. So I I think that is important to understand when you're trying to figure out how to list in this environment. The more the offer and also the lower. If Ontario changed and it wasn't blind bidding like we have it to a more transparent system, do you think um, that would change at all? where people can see the prices? Or do you think just it would still be a shit show just because of the demand that we have out there? I think that in some cases it would even, it, it really, again, it's hard to say. I don't think it would change much because if somebody can see your offer, now they know exactly where they stand and they would probably even be just more aggressive to win. And it just keeps on going, 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 going. Where sometimes people, they stop because they're like, 
Mm, I really don't know what the other offer is. Nobody would have bid that high. Yeah. So I'm not going to bid. So imagine on that property, for example, it sold for 220. So if the person, the other person that was close to it, saw it at 220, they're like, okay, I'm going to go 225. Or I'm going to go to, and it just keeps on going and going. So it comes to a point by not having visibility into it, right? That people are just like, okay, when's enough enough, right? But if it's, if everybody had visibility, it could just continue to go and go, right? Um, Yeah. So this whole idea that the transparent kind of bidding process really wouldn't change things. We used to compete in transparent bidding process sometimes for requests for proposals on different software stuff. And sometimes if it was transparent, it really didn't change too much. You just mm-hmm. kind of saw it. I don't know if you guys ever went through that now for, uh, ever or if it was always blind. I think it was government stuff mm-hmm. that you would see the other bids. Um, so then those people who sold that property, they're going to take their money. I'm just curious. And they're going to invest it somewhere else in, in Alberta. Correct. Correct. And I guess they have to, because if they don't take that money and invest it, it's just going to lose value like by the month. Yeah. Right like right. if you cashed out, just you use that by, or anyone who's selling a property, an investment property, and we can use this as a, by way of example, they, they collect 1.2 million. They pay off a mortgage of, let's say $400,000. They get $800,000. Mm-hmm. If you don't put that into the market, you are losing. And if we were, to, if we're to take the kind of benchmark of like 15% inflation right now going on in their, in their real estate market a year, talking a, a year, you're losing a 10% on, uh, yeah, so 10% is 80,000. You're losing $120,000 of that in purchasing power a year. Mm-hmm. If you just sit on that for two years, you're going to lose $250,000 of purchasing power. Mm-hmm. So you have to, you're, you're forced to push that money back into the market, whether you want to or not, yeah. because you can't save it in cash. So you're either going to stuff it into the stock market or you're going to stuff it into the real estate market or you buy a bunch of Rolexes and art. But no, but you got to put it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like we're yeah. talking huge. Yeah. And that is their intention. They already identified a property from like a, um, a builder who's already creating like legal duplexes. So they're going to be buying it and, that, and doing something there. I don't think they would have because my, my advice to them was don't sell it. Yeah, you can get 1.2 million, but you know, where are things going to go in the next five to 10 years? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm always, I think it was a, ter- a term that you coined. It says that you're short-term paranoid, long-term positive. Did that mm-hmm. come from you or did yeah. you hear that from somebody No, no that's just how we've operated all the time. Yeah. You're, you're, short, you're, you're, you're paranoid in the short term, but yeah. you're long-term optimistic. And that's how I've always been, right? And, um, and I kind of share that, that kind of um, strategy with, with clients and... So, but yeah, they're, they're literally already identified a house that they're going to be purchasing as a, as a result of the sale of this one. Right? Why, why are some of your clients, some of your clients have um, a, a bit of cash? Mm-hmm. Why, are, why are they going into the real estate market if it's not for their own family home and you're working with yeah, them? Yeah, so, and, and I think that kind of leads to what you were asking earlier that I didn't really answer was why the sudden shift? And um, one just through casual conversations. Like I always tell people, yeah, my house could go up 500,000 or a million dollars, my primary home, but that does not excite me where some people get excited. And the reason why I don't get excited is because at the end of the day, if I sell the house, I got to move somewhere else and it's probably gone up. And if I'm trying to move up in terms of lifestyle, it's probably gone up more than mine has. So where I get excited is, is all the other properties that I have, my investment properties, when they go up, that is where I get excited, right? Uh, so we recently did something. So that based on that, one client reaches out. He's like, hey, find us an investment property. So we did. And uh, the numbers were amazing. We got it to him for like a million dollars. He's renting it out for 4500 So 100% financed. And I still think he's positive cash flow, 250 bucks or something like that. So we put that on our social media platform. And I think because we have a pretty good following there, immediately we get a bunch of people reaching out saying, hey, I want one. And then that just kind of snowballed to where we're doing a lot of stuff in that area, which we didn't normally do, right? Um, and so those clients who bought, and even though it was only like three, four months ago, they were buying at 850, 900, and now they're seeing their properties worth one, one to 1.2 million. They're like, I want more, right? So it's just like, again, it's just the, the momentum that we're seeing, yeah. What are you seeing um, in regards to inventory across any of the stats that you cover? I know you're really good at monitoring stats for the markets mm-hmm. that you play in. What can you comment on on just the inventory in the real estate market that you see? Yeah. So again, there's, 
a couple different areas that we focus on. One of the primary areas is going to be Oakville. And I remember just around the Christmas holidays, I was looking and there was like absolutely no inventory. And the cheapest detached house in all of Oakville, all of Oakville, the cheapest detached house that you could find was 1799000 Okay. And it was an older house in a more mature neighborhood, but it was nicely updated. But so it's 1.8 million. It's but the cheapest that single, was the cheapest single fully house detached house in Oakville. at that at that time, like almost for a period of four days, right? It was the cheapest, and that house. So we had a client that we brought through, and that house was holding offers. Take a guess what that house sold for. It was an 1,800 square foot home, right? No, on don't a 60 tell me by over two million. Yeah, higher. 2.2. Yeah, it was like two million two hundred and twenty. I was Holy I was shocked, shit. right? And now, since then, there's been a bit more inventory as we start getting into like the second, third week of January, because most people don't want to be listing during the Christmas holidays. So now, basically, uh, the cheapest detached house you'll see is going to be. It may be listed at one point three million sure. or one. But they're it's holding go for offers. one point seven. So in reality, the cheapest detached house that you would see is going to be now the average is going to be around one point six million, right? There may be an anomaly where you see this tiny little house in maybe in a really bad area, and perhaps it goes you know for like one four, one five. But on average, even in the subdivision, like on a thirty six foot lot, a three bedroom, if it's detached, you're looking around one point six. So then in in. Uh Kind of with the same thinking, I guess, in Oakville, South Oakville. So if anyone's not familiar, between the QEW, which is the main highway that rips through here in Lake Ontario, and those older lots there, a lot of people are buying lots and building on them. What are some of the features right now that really make a house stand out? I think in the past you've told me uh, three-car garage. You've also told me um, lifestyle, like that people would want like a, a spa in their in their home. Um yeah, so is that still the kind of thing? I feel like the spa is probably a, a big one in that those higher price points. And what I mean by that is steam room, sauna, massage tables. And I don't know if it's people that want that or if it's more the strategic person that's basically saying, hey, how am I going to differentiate my house so that when I put it on the market that I can, you know, maximize on, on the profit? Um I think most people, when they're thinking just building custom, they're still thinking more of the, the traditional common areas of the mm-hmm. house. It's kitchens, family rooms, and washrooms, and the, and the aesthetic of the front elevation and rear elevation, um, and then moving more into a mature neighborhood. So right? what would you recommend then to, to make it differentiate a little bit more than usual? Yeah, so I would always say, like, try to differentiate it using the garage, like add a three-car garage. The issue now is that land is so expensive. and can based- it. Well, yeah, because you again you're limited. To, like when you when you're buying a, a whether an infill or whether it be a vacant lot, it's going to be about lot. Coverage. What about tandem? Can we do tandem three car? No, that's still because that's still going to take up lot coverage. Oh, got right? it. So, so now you can't get it. So you can't get the uh, the permit approved what, for your design. No, you probably can get a permit. You're going to go for a variance because a lot of times there's a, a maximum on how big your garage can be based on that zoning, but you can always ask for a variance. But the issue is is that you're taking up lot coverage. So how do you how do you differentiate? So it's no longer it's like now you got to go up. So now you're adding a lift, right? So that's how oh, you're getting your three car garage, and maybe your lift is something that's a little bit more. It's not a simple four post lift, but something like integrated into the house. Maybe it's maybe it's a lift bringing the car down into the basement. Right? And are people doing that into the basement? Yeah, I've seen that. I saw yeah. a house in Toronto that just set a new press, and it wasn't even a big house, and it sold for well over any of its comparables, and that's what it has. Because it had a differentiating factor. Yeah, so down. it was a single-car garage where most of that area, you'd have a double, but then you would have almost, like, because the lots are smaller, but the you literally drive the car in and it would drop into the... And then you could park another one. You another, another one on the ramp on the top. So you fit two cars, and then normally the car that's downstairs in the basement is more of a, an exotic, like a collector's or something like that because they had like a glass wall through the hallway so you can see it. So things like that are creative. Not crazy expensive when you think of the cost of construction and when you think of the cost of the land, but it's, you know, even if you're spending an extra 100000 look, if, you're, if your build cost is costing you 1.5 to 2 million and your land's costing 1.5 to 2 million, to spend an extra 100000 on a feature like that could be a winning strategy, right? So anything else come to mind? So garages instead of three car, just wide or tandem going up or down. The other thing is outdoor space. So where most people who would literally just build a house now, like covered areas on the 
um, in the rear yard, um, like whether it be fireplaces or outdoor kitchens. Um, it's really difficult to get a pool now, right? If you try to, you're, you're like any pool company, they're swamped and uh, there's delay on products. Because so. a pool before was a little bit sometimes of a negative because yeah. not everybody wanted yeah. one. Now it's a positive. Yeah, now it's a positive, which is crazy because like, you know, we got one, but you only have it for I a know. couple months out of I the know. year. But You've always told me it's expensive landscaping. That's what I said. <laughs> and a lot of the houses we do are modern, right? So there's a lot of glass across the back. So that, that area in the it's back is, is just as critical. What you see back there is just as critical as your kitchen, right? So, yeah. And uh, it looks nasty out in the uh, middle. Yeah, uh, when it's covered in yeah, snow, it's uh, fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, I still have one of the, uh, when we close our pool, it's still one of those kind of tarps that kind of dips into the no. pool. So, yeah. You don't even have a safety cover? <laughs> oh, no. yeah. I couldn't put a safety uh, cover because the way of our fences on one side oh, with yeah, the waterfall, yeah, yeah, they uh, couldn't get the spikes uh, in properly. Uh, uh, so, uh, anyway. But, um, so you've been doing this now for a long time. And you were in software, and now you've been in a real... You were in software, you and I... So for anyone listening who doesn't know, I was a sales consultant at Oracle, and Ruben was an, a sales manager, and I wanted to go into sales. And I was really fortunate. I've told men, multiple people, you changed my life, because you, you were... When I said it, I wanted to go into sales, you were the first sales manager said, hey, I'll take you on my team. Mm -hmm. And that was a really big moment in my life. And... Um, I'm just thinking you have 10 years of software experience. I've seen you go through a lot of that, especially when me and you were in those offices talking about real estate while we were in the software. <laughs> End of quarter, everyone's freaking out. And you were talking about flipping. I was talking yeah. about these student rental properties and we were talking about all this. Yeah. And we were talking about everything other yeah. than software. Yeah. Meanwhile, software was exploding. Well, the best was, there was, I think there was 13 people on our team and, and the guys would come into my office and like, hey, I'm looking at these floor plans. Which one should I yeah. go with? And so I was like consulting everybody on what they should buy. And I'd always tell them, this is where you want to go above your means. Yeah, right? yeah, it's not yeah. on that car that you're purchasing, but on the real estate. If you if you feel like like the, this is what you're comfortable with, like and there's like oh a townhouse, I'm like no no go into the semi. Or if they were comfortable, so, with so the, semi. the manager at Oracle told me to do the same thing. And then a month later, it was the 2000. It was a tech uh, bust, mm -hmm. and it was your your brother was there. Mm -hmm. A bunch of people got laid off. Remember? Mm -hmm. And where I sat at Oracle, I, I could look out the window, and for about three days, yeah. I would see people walk out about ten minutes apart with boxes because they yeah. had cleaned out their desk. This is right after I bought put the down payment on my first yeah. family home, and I went bigger. Mm -hmm. I did four car, four bedroom, two car garage. Mm -hmm. Get this for two hundred sixty eight thousand dollars because I and I stretched myself. That was the Madame House. That was a Madame yeah, yeah, House, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I stretched myself because the advice from the manager at that time was like, you can, you know, you work at Oracle, everything's yeah. great here. Yeah. You could just go go extend yourself. Yeah. But uh, but that changed my life that whole era when when I got into sales with you and and and. Uh, oh, it changed mine too because my context of what I what I wanted to make like. Um, was completely different because of again prior to getting into software it was my dad and his family business and i saw that he was probably the most successful person like, which was it, furniture sales yeah and he was pretty successful amongst all of our other family members independent furniture store yeah and i realized i don't want to i don't ever want to own like retail because it was like seven days a week he was it literally felt like you were living to work Trapped, right yeah. um and then I'm like, okay, I'm not doing this. And I, I ended up working for like Cadillac Fairview. Uh, I was managing a golf course, like an indoor golf course at the Aaron Mills Down Center. <laughs> it was a mini pot. It wasn't a mini pot. When you say golf course. Did, did I say right? golf course? Yeah, you yeah. did. I meant, was, it hey guys, listen, in my past, <laughs> I used to manage a golf course. <laughs> yeah. Listen, if you need any tips on yeah. fertilizer, oh, let me tell you what I terrible. put down in the mini pot. Uh, and I, I remember the sacrifices I made because I wanted to get recognized because my goal back then was the property manager for that mall. I don't know what he was making. Like, actually, I remember the bill, like, I think it was the building superintendent. I think he was making like 75000 And I'm like, man, I want this guy's job. Man, if I can get this guy's job, mm -hmm. I've made it. And then eventually, if I can get becoming a property manager, and I think they were making like six figures. But it wasn't until I got into software where I saw people making like hundreds of thousands. Do you remember those field reps that we would see in Chicago? When mm -hmm. I found out one of them was making $400,000 in one year. Yeah. And they were doing Do that, that? Yeah. yeah. I almost, I yeah. think I, that's when, yeah, that's yeah. when your context changes. Yeah. Like we yeah. didn't, I didn't think that was possible. Yeah. Did you? No, no. And I'm like, and I'm like, it's not that these guys are, and I'm not taking anything away from them, but it's not that they're working any harder or any smarter. They were in else. the right industry at the right time. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, but I think that is what changed my context so that I wanted more. Right. And, uh, luckily because of that industry and the amount of money that we were able to make there, I was able to qualify for mortgages that allowed me to invest in real estate. 
And I don't know what would happen if I didn't, we didn't go through that, right? It was, so. it was really weird timing because we were riding the wave of the software industry mm. and then getting into the real estate industry, which was really about to pump pretty hard for like the next 10, 15 mm. years. Mm. So it's kind of fortunate. What do you think then for the rest of your, your you know, your, your, how old are you now? You were the same age right now. Yeah, we, I'm turning 50 this year. Later this year. I just turned 49 years. So we're a little, oh. we're one year oh. apart. Um, oh. But what do you think for the next 10 years? Is it real estate for you for the next Absolutely. 10 years? Why, why do you say it so confidently? You know what? I think, one, I remember being like 16 years old, just driving down Lakeshore in Oakville and just to look at houses. And I would just drive down and look at houses and I'd be amazed and I would always wonder who lives there, what do they do for a living, what does that house look like inside? So I've always loved real estate. Even at, I remember at 12, I remember driving by one area like in St. Clair uh, and uh, it was St. Clair and Runnymede. And I called my dad, I'm like, dad, there's this house for sale at 12 years old, you gotta buy this house, all right? Uh, so there was always this kind of passion as a kid and even growing up. And I think unlike software, like, I had good work ethic and I kind of knew stuff, but in this industry, and it's not to be cocky. Oh, I kind of knew stuff yeah. that I was selling. Well, I did. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But I was I, like, yeah, you no, know, I remember those days. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in when it comes to real estate, and, I, and part of it is because of like the passion and everything like that, I I always entrench myself in it to the point where I want to know everything. Like it's almost an obsession, and then with that knowledge comes confidence and with that confidence even comes more pleasure right so it's like this snowball effect and i just i don't do it for the money i mean it's great we're making money but the fact that i do it out of enjoyment helping a bunch of people do it and at the same time making like right now fortunately everybody's making a lot of money doing it as well too and right? as your friend i hate to admit this but yeah you're really good at what you do yeah thank you um and, and uh, I guess I'm, I'm curious, what's your favorite type of project now? I feel like if I had to guess, for those people who, who, who aren't listening, Ruben has a lot of kind of experience in design as well. I feel like that's your, your favorite when you get to be involved with the architects who are designing, even though you don't have like an official design mm -hmm. background. I've seen you in my own houses that I've purchased. Mm -hmm. Multiple times you've told us on pre-construction homes that we've bought for our family mm -hmm. to move around a kitchen island a certain way. Small little things mm -hmm. that we would have never imagined to change the whole layout of the yeah. house. Is that still your favorite thing, the design component yeah, it's, of it? Yeah, it definitely is one of the things that... And is that how you work with all your clients right yeah, now? Like you absolutely. ask to be involved with the architect or do you ask to get the drawing sent over to you? It's it's We are involved right from... Like if there's a client who's working with us who has intentions of building um, or buying and renovating I mean right from finding the right house that has the right footprint and the right bone structure to do that renovation or it's the right land to actually buy so that it's worth building on that it's it's going to be a solid investment so from finding the initial property to you know working directly with the architects on consulting on the designs of what you know because a lot of uh, homeowners they don't know what they want yet so you got to share some ideas and then so that they can understand and then they can make those decisions yeah i really really want that but yeah so it's 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 consulting on the designs and it goes right to even selecting finishes even helping them buy furniture yeah, i don't know how you have the patience right? for that so and to see that from starting from scratch and then to come into a house after somebody's been living there and seeing it finished uh that that is one of the things that I enjoy the most, right? It is very time consuming, um, but it's uh, it, it's 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 part of what we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the fact that you're so confident about that for the next ten years kind of amazes me. So you've really found your sweet spot. Most people don't have that. You know, most people I find don't know what they want to do exactly for the next ten years. So you should feel fortunate. Yeah, That's, I don't want to uh, be doing anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And then right now, are you, uh, I don't even know how you get your clients. <laughs> is it just word of mouth? Yeah. So you, it sounds like you post something on social media. <laughs> you just, is word of mouth? Because you keep growing with yeah. what you're doing. So definitely through referrals, through word of mouth. Because like, uh, and then the other thing is, yeah, we have a pretty good social media following, whether it be on YouTube, whether it's going to be on Instagram, 
Um, Are you still doing those YouTube videos where you walk through different houses explaining, like kind yeah. of like a positive critique where you're saying, here's what they did good, here's what so they could do. I know who's on. not watching my videos. Yeah, dude, I don't have time. <laughs> I don't watch anything. <laughs> no, so you're still doing those videos? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, just for anyone who doesn't just know, spurt, Ruben is part of it. Yeah. Ruben is here at Rockstar. <laughs> so like you would think that we're all yeah. in tune with each other. But yeah. no, you're doing so much. I can't keep track. Yeah. So between Austin and I, so Austin's uh, my son, who's also a realtor, who's working with me, and he's got great skills when it comes to like um, uh, basically editing videos and photos and all that and filming. Because yeah, we tried to hire him away from you. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll you know we try to capture some of these projects. Uh, we we'll put them on you know that, that the content on YouTube so people can follow along, and uh, we're trying to always get better information out there. So because you can talk about concepts, but sometimes you tangibly you want to see what we're talking about, and that's where we're able to do it through like some of those social media platforms, right? Rather than just a podcast. But um, before we go further, I just wanted to ask, what about some of your clients and when they talk about vacation properties? Are you hearing things like Florida, up north, uh, out west, Europe, or any of your clients? I know you specifically aren't going to Europe to help yeah. people buy properties, but I know you're probably involved in some of those conversations with some of your clients. What are you hearing right now? And has that changed over the last few years? Yeah, so the, if it's outside of the country, they'll ask about it. And I'm just like, hey, I'm not your guy. You know what? I, I kind of try to stay in my lane. Uh, there are individuals that are talking about cottages and same thing. I'm like, hey, if you, because there's so many things that are specific to that area and understanding, you know, some of the. Yeah, um, what lake has a rock bottom? Exactly. What has, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, find an expert in that area. But I will engage. Like somebody will, will reach out and, and through a consulting engagement, ask us to consult on the designs. Because the design is still designed. It doesn't matter where it's located. Um, but yeah, we're not going out there. So. Uh, but we do have those clients that are asking about. Are you hearing things. it more? Uh, the I reason am. I'm asking is because we bought up in Blue Mountain, and I think yeah. you know what happened to the prices yeah. up there over the last 18 yeah. months. I guess it's like everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just wondering if you're hearing more people talk about different vacation properties. I am, because they, I, again, a lot of these guys are savvy, and they realize like if it's going to be like up in Muskoka or Blue Mountain that um, they're doing like an Airbnb and, and or just oh, renting it out for a couple of weeks. So the cash flow on, the, on those properties are, are pretty decent. So, uh, and then they also have that as a secondary property that they can use for their own personal use, right? So, but that's not something that myself, I'm working on directly finding them properties mm -hmm. like that and understanding those numbers. Um, Right. Something I've observed about you being as successful as you are in an industry that is pretty cutthroat is that you keep relationships better than anyone I've ever met. Even if somebody I what I would consider crosses you mm -hmm. in a way, mm -hmm. um, you will never cut ties with that person. You always take the high road. Um, where does that kind of mindset come from? Is that books you've read or is that like people that you've been around or things that you've observed because you seem to operate by your own set of principles. And I don't know if you've ever outlined them for yourself or publicly, mm -hmm. but you, you, do you have an inter internal set of principles that you live by? And if you do, where has that come from? Yeah. Uh, I, I think one is if somebody crosses me or does something that it, where you think that they did it specifically to hurt you or something like that. And I'm like, no, they didn't. They did it because they felt that decision was the best decision for them. And could that mean, look, for example, let's say they listed with somebody else or they bought with somebody else. Well, that doesn't, you know, whatever decision they did could have been that maybe they perceived something. It doesn't necessarily mean that's a fact, right? And uh, I look at it and saying, hey, I'm more concerned about the long-term relationship and if at the end of the day, if I provide enough value and you see it, you'll work with me. And if you don't, that's okay. And I think what that comes down to is where I, like other people who might get offended by it is that they may have a big ego. I don't have a big ego. At least I don't think so, right? And it's so, funny. Some people from the outside will think you have a big ego until they meet you. You don't. No, you, you, I don't. Why is the long term more important to you? Why do you say it that way? Because I've, I've been doing this long enough that I've seen a lot of situations where you know, somebody made a decision that wasn't uh, um, in my best interest, right? But at the end of the day, I was still there to help them anyway. And then they realized that, wait a minute, you know, that, that kept the door open and then they came back. And, and I think that that relationship was even stronger than if I worked with them in the beginning, right? So 
now, if somebody does something to disrespect me deliberately or my family, yeah, you cross the line, mm -hmm. right? But if somebody did something where they thought it was in their best interest and they weren't doing it deliberately to disrespect me or anything like that. How did you learn that? I don't know. I, I don't think I was... I, I, it's hard to say. I just was no mentor. No, nah, I just don't. I, part of it is I don't really have a mean bone in my body. I don't think. Mm -hmm. right? no, you don't. So, um, and I really do enjoy helping people. So, and I think if that's kind of what I'm trying to do, then it really doesn't matter what that person does. I'm not going to mm -hmm. get upset. Right now there have been clients that I fired. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm here to help you. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. don't believe that and we've been working together this long, you know, I can't change you, all right? So maybe it's best that we go our own ways, all right? Um, and that's the best thing you could do because you don't want to work with people who don't value you, mm -hmm. right? Um, Are you still buying coffee from winners at the checkout stand? No, I am actually going now to Sobeys. Really? Is that what you're getting coffee now? Yeah. For anyone listening to this, well, Ruben was <laughs> on like two years ago. We were talking about coffee. And we were talking about how we buy, where we all buy our coffee yeah. beans. And uh, he's like, I, when I'm at Winners, if I see coffee on just the checkout lane, I'll yeah, just grab yeah. coffee. And uh, somebody, I think, bought you coffee the next week. They I said did, they had yeah. a gift some, for you. They felt one sad. of the listeners. Because probably that Winners yeah, coffee's like yeah, already expired, yeah, yeah. dude, or something. It's, not, yeah, yeah. it's like stale coffee yeah. beans or something. Should probably talk about buying like exotic cars, see if somebody sends me an exotic car. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, anyway, listen, I just from watching you here, uh, you know, we get to work together and I feel very fortunate. You could be doing real estate, obviously, anywhere. But the fact that we get to do it side by side for me is really kind of special because although I don't watch your YouTube channel, <laughs> although I don't watch your YouTube channel to get to hang out with friends and work together, you know, yourself and Mike and, and you know, work with my brother, Nick, I feel very fortunate. So I know you could be doing your real estate stuff anywhere mm -hmm. and you have your own business with what you're doing. Um, but to be able to do it alongside you means a lot to me. So uh, it makes it makes my life better. And I, I know like that I sounds come cheesy. Up and give you a hug. No, no, don't <laughs> give me a hug. <laughs> don't give me a hug. But I know it sounds cheesy. But I just want to say it, man. I uh, I really appreciate who you are as a person and what you do. And I'm proud to to have your back when when people make fun of you for different things because you're easy to make I know fun you're of there sometimes. But, <laughs> but you're so right. Like I look at that we talked about doing what I do and the, and I said how much I love the industry and what I, but uh, there's more to it like I get my son I get to work with him right I get to work with my best friends right so to be imagine if everybody like I wish everybody had a life where they get to go to work with their best friends doing what they love and get to work with their family and build something that they can leave behind some sort of legacy that they can leave behind for their family so it doesn't feel, mean it's always easy no, or it's, it's a great not. day. Oh, man, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes saw, we both walk tell, by each other yeah, and like, we don't tell. talk. Yeah, yeah. You can tell when I'm walking by yeah, yeah, yeah. when it's a but good day. Really, <laughs> if you don't come to my door going, buddy, hey, buddy, with a big smile on your face with your coffee, then I know, you yeah, know, yeah, I know yeah, you're, it's a yeah, bad day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, it's we have more good days than bad days yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, right. cool. Thanks for doing this, dude. So no where can I know the website for people to find you is thefurtadogroup.com. On Instagram, it's at thefurtadogroup. On YouTube, I don't know what it is. It's, I, I think it's going <laughs> to still Furtado be group. the Furtado Group. Just we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, yeah. But the FurtadoGroup.com will have links to your YouTube channel. On Instagram, you guys are still really active on Instagram, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, we kind of fell off for a little bit. We picked it back up, so we're going to try to maintain that activity. Okay, so at the Furtado Group on Instagram, and those are the two places to find you. If anyone listening wants to get yeah. a hold of you, correct? I think we're, yeah, we're also on Facebook. Same thing. The, the Furtado, Furtado Group. group. Keep okay. it simple, yeah. Okay, cool. cool. Thanks for sharing the, all this, man. I appreciate it. No Thanks. problem, man. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Ruben. You can reach out to Ruben on his website at thefurtadogroup.com. That's thefurtadogroup.com. Or on Instagram at thefurtadogroup. That's at thefurtadogroup on Instagram. And if you're listening to this and you want some more content, perhaps you want some video content, you can check out our videos and our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash rockstar inner circle. That's youtube.com forward slash rockstar inner circle. Hit the big fat red subscribe button there and you'll get notified of different videos as they become available. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms. <laughs>